Hi, this is Pastor Tim, and I'm always encouraged to hear what God is doing in your life. Now, if you have a story or a testimony to share regarding a miracle, please let me know at story at citylifefw.org. That's story at citylifefw.org. Hey, I'm looking forward to hearing your personal story soon. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. We're all about making Jesus known. We pray these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus, who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Name, Amen. God bless you. You guys can have a seat. While you're sitting down, go ahead and get your notes and Bibles out. I'd like for you to open up your Bibles to the book of John. John, that's an easy word to remember. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 1. While you're getting your Bibles open, getting ready to go, just uh, just want to tell you a, a quick little thing. You're going to flip back to John 11 in a little right after I read that passage. So, you know, kind of hold your place there. Don't close it too fast and get, you know, freaked out when I have you switch over, all right? But John chapter 12 is where we're going to start. Uh, while you're finding that, I, I, you know, I was I found something interesting the other day about childhood imaginations. And uh, it's the, it's actually an organization, it's called Childhood Imagination, that puts out this, uh, this survey each year on what children want to be when they grow up. Do you remember when you were a kid and what you actually wanted to be? Can you even remember any of that? Uh, I, I I remember those times and they would always talk to, to people in school about it. It's funny because I remember there was this one teacher in in, uh, in third grade says, okay, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you know, all these kids are answering. And then the teacher said, do you realize that very few of you, or hardly any of you are actually going to be what you want to be when you grow up? I mean, it's like, like, well, thank you, teacher. And you know what? From then on, I never answered the questions because like, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm they're not going to have you stomp on my dreams, teacher. And I did. I was just, okay. But, but here is the latest list of what kids imagine to be that they will be when they grow up. And so if this is one of yours, then you lift your hand. That way I can know how many of you, no, the, actually the number one, actually let's start with the number 10. Okay. I kind of did a top 10 countdown. The number 10 answer was astronaut. How many of you wanted to be an astronaut? That was big when I was a little kid because there were like really people hopping on the moon. Okay. Okay, put your hands down. The number nine answer is teacher. Ah, oh, come on, lift your hands, teacher, teacher. Yes, and how many of you actually are teachers? Put your hands up. Now, that one is very fulfilling. I like that. Yes. Okay, the, the, the eighth answer is athlete. Oh, how many of you, you were wanting to be an athlete, football player. You're going to do something with athletics. How many of you are professional athletes now? That's what I thought. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I saw, I, I, also, I saw your hand go up. You chase people for, yeah, you just chase people across your property. All right. Um, number, we'll explain that one later. Number seven, the number seven answer is Childhood dreams wants to be a musician for a career. How many of you, that was your dream? Yes, that's your dream. Some of you, you're still dreaming. How many of you have ever been or you are a professional musician? Raise your hand. Look at that. Yeah. Dreams do come true. Take that, Mrs. Elliot. <sighs> and I did my research. She's dead now. But anyway, I know, but... No, no, I'll be, you guys have to understand. I'm, I'm like, I'm in my 50s, okay? And she was like ancient then. All right. Just forget it. Sometimes I say things that gets me into a lot of trouble. Keep moving on. Number six answer is engineer. Ooh, how many of you wanted to be an engineer? Nobody. Okay. Oh, one. <laughs> I see you back there. Okay. The next one is scientist. Number five answer is scientist. Any of you wanted to be a scientist when you were a kid? Yeah, that was mine. I wanted to be a scientist. It didn't work out. Uh, number four is 
firefighter. How many of you wanted, yes, you're going to go fight fires. Yes, yeah, fight fires. How many of you actually do fight fires? Yes, yes, yes. Dreams do come true, right? Mrs. Elliot is poor lady. She Okay, the next one, number three answer is police officer. Who dreamed about being a police officer? Lift your hands. No, is there a one? A one back there? Is there Okay, so there are like two people in the whole room that dream do not do okay, do not let our police officer in here. He gets feelings hurt and all that kind of stuff. Okay, how many of you dreamed of being <laughs> being a veterinarian? That's the number two. That is the number two for children today. Look at that. Good. And how many of you dreamed as a child for the number one answer for current children today? A doctor. Yes, 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 yes. Put your hands down. I love that. You know what? The reason ch- you look at all these, these are dreams that children just want their lives to matter. They just want their lives to matter. Do you know what's built into us to want that? So I'm challenging you with that today. Make your life matter. You know, it's not based upon your career. It has nothing to do with your occupation or your job that makes your life matter. And that's the thing that children don't know, but we eventually learn and find out. That's what I want to encourage you with today. But first of all, really, I want to say this is your life already matters to God. Your life is important to him, and he has designed you with purpose and intent. Uh, Yet at the same time, our culture that we live in, this world, drains us of our purpose and gets us moving in wrong directions. And I want to hope, just my hope today is that we can kind of get a jolt in the right direction. Uh, Because we end up getting focused on career development and selfish pursuits and above the things that really matter in this life. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against career development or career advancement at all, uh, but an obsession with those things will take you to a very, very dark place. And uh, my challenge to you today is to move past that and make your life really count. Stop playing games and living weekend to weekend and living and just existing for yourself and for your own pleasure or your personal glory because that is so empty and it really is not worth it. It really is not worth it. In my life, I've decided a long ago that I'm looking forward to one thing. And however I get there, it doesn't matter really. I just want one thing is I want to stand before Jesus and I want to hear him say, Tim, well done. You've been a good and faith-filled servant. Now I want to, you, you to just enter into all kinds of joy and pleasure unimaginable for the rest of eternity. See, I, I hunger for that. I, I crave that. I long for that. And I'm very serious. That drives me. It does. It drives me more than anything else. And I keep it in front of me all the time that that's really what it's all about. Uh, pleasing God is not about your career. It's not about your SAT scores or the college you attend. It's not, about, uh, it's, it's, it's not about your salary or the place you live or the car you drive or the car that you crash, you know? Pleasing God is actually countercultural, but it has huge eternal ramifications. So my challenge is this today, very clear here. My challenge is that you will live life with an outward focus, with generosity, and a long-term vision. Three things, outward focus, generosity, and a long-term life vision. That is going to keep you right on track. And the truth is, if I didn't have these principles integrated into my life, the truth is city life would not exist today because it's not easy. But it's beautiful and God's here. People's lives are changed here. 
I love this church. I, I love my church. I love it. I, and I, I don't mind calling it my church because it's my church. But you know what? It's just as much your church as it is my church. You know, if I were to own a business and have my own business, I could call it my business. And you couldn't, you know, even if you worked there, you couldn't call it your business. If you, were in, if you took it, you know, took care of my products and bought my products, you couldn't call it your business. But this is your church just as much as it's my church. This is our church. And this is your church. This is your place of encouragement and strength and support and direction and life. Yours. It's a place where Jesus meets with you. It's a place where we get into the Bible because here we, we, we simply believe the Bible. <laughs> Novel thought. You know, the Bible's a really big book and there's a lot to learn in it. Last week I introduced you to a woman and uh, this woman, she made this grand entrance at this private dinner with Jesus and, and, uh, and his disciples and some of Jesus' followers. And today I'm going to show you her story from another vantage point. See, she is actually the central character of this series of messages I'm doing today and last week, today and next week. But she's also one of probably the most interesting and intriguing characters in the New Testament. And in fact, next week, you need to be here. Would you like to get your mind blown away and not use drugs? Okay, be here next Sunday because your mind is going to be blown away next Sunday. All right, drug free, all right? Last week, her name wasn't even in the text. It was just a woman. Uh, but today, her name is in there. And I'll tell you, her name is Mary. Now, she's not the mother of Jesus. She's not Mary Magdalene. There, Mary was a very common name back in that culture. Uh, but, but this Mary, we refer to her as Mary of Bethany, because that's where she lived. If she would have lived here in Fort Worth, it would have been Mary of Fort Worth. But she lived in this town called Bethany. And she had two siblings, Martha and Lazarus. If you're familiar with New Testament stories, you've probably heard of Martha and Lazarus. All right, this is their sister, Mary. I want you to see this family here. So now take a look in your Bibles, and, and let's take a look at this passage of Scripture. We're going to jump right into this in John chapter 12, verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Okay, that's the town where... Uh, that's the town where they lived, okay? That's why we call her Mary of Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Now, it's actually my belief, uh, the just deduction, I don't know whether it's true or not, it's my deduction that this would have been held at the home of Mary and Martha. It's my deduction that that was the case. Martha served, and that helps us to know where it was happening because Martha, this is her house, so she's serving there in her house, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with them. Now, from here on out, we're not going to hear any more about Martha or Lazarus. <laughs> See, because Martha was running around fixing things, serving, fixing, doing all this kind of stuff. Lazarus was chilling at the table, just laying back going, hey, Jesus, hey, G. I don't know what he called him for short. Sure. It could have been G or G's. <laughs> hey, G's. Like, well, I don't know about that. But, but he, they were just hanging out there, and Martha was running around, and her hair was on fire like usual. And then Mary. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. Look it up. <laughs> it's a very expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, last week we talked about it being poured on her head, and this week with the feet and her hair. Now, please understand that's not in contradiction with one another. These are different vantage points of people who are watching this story. Anytime you get a group of eyewitnesses on anything, you get all the eyewitnesses together, and you get the complete story. That's what this is right here. And uh, she was acting out generosity. 
Mary is our model for generosity, and she was showing that. She was just being very, very extremely generous to Jesus. Now, I said, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So here we see a disciple who's taking the opposite perspective, and he's selfish, he's stingy, he's critical of the gift, and he's critical of the giver. It's funny because religious people can always find something to criticize. Uh, have you ever hung around like religious people who are always thinking, you know, they're just, they, they're just like, they're uptight and about religious stuff and they're always condemning. You see, that was Judas. That was Judas right there. It didn't drive him to a good place. I'll just say that much. It says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and as keeper of the money bag, he used to keep himself, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So again, Judas was the problem, not Mary. And he stirred up the other disciples against Mary, all right? So Jesus said, leave her alone. So again, the attack was against the woman, not really even against Jesus, but it was against her. He said, it was intended that she should save this perfume for my day of burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you'll not always have me. Now, what you see here is off the charts generosity. We know that the, this, this, uh, this, this perfume that she put on him was, was actually worth about a year's wages. And Mary, what she was doing is she was just acting out her life because she was making her life matter. She was focused outward, not on herself. Bottom line, Mary was expressing deep passion for Jesus and she wasn't afraid to share her emotions and she was at the feet of Jesus, literally worshiping Jesus at his feet. I'll tell you what, guys, God loves it when we express emotion to him. Lazarus, oh, he's just hanging out. I mean, he'd been raised from the dead. Oh yeah, hey, gee, you know. He barely even made it into the story. Martha was too busy doing stuff to make it into the story. But the sister, Mary, she has the primary role in the story, and, 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 and she's not trying to posture. She's not trying to prove something. She's just being generous, and she's being passionate in her worship of Jesus. And it, and it really wasn't so much what she was doing. It was how she was doing it. That is actually what sat Mary apart. See, when we give and when we serve... I believe, guys, it's critical that we do it with passion. A passion and energy, a zeal, emotion in our hearts. We should never do it out of frantic obligation like Martha. Why was Martha barely mentioned? Well, I believe it's because she was too busy like she always was. You go back in time about a year earlier, there's another passage in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. There's a similar story of when Jesus visited their house for dinner. And it's interesting because that story sounds a lot like the story of, of, uh, of the, that we just shared with you. See, it says here, it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to the village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She also had a sister called Mary, again, this is a year earlier, who sat at the Lord's feet. Okay, it's like, see this? listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to go and do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Mary's getting attacked again. <laughs> Martha, Martha. I like, I like how Jesus goes, Martha, Martha. I don't know what, how was, how was it? How was it? Was it I, I think there are a lot of ways it could have, Martha, Martha. 
Or was it just like Martha, Martha? But he says her name twice. It's like Martha, Martha, Martha. Oh, you are worried and upset about many things. Is that you? The Lord says only a few things are needed and indeed only one. She was uptight, worried, running around with an angry heart trying to prove something and Mary was actually doing the opposite. Mary was passionate about hearing every word of Jesus and Mary again is being picked on because she's not doing what the religious people expect her to do. See, Jesus says Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. See, there's this pattern here. There's this Martha attitude of frantically running around, yet Mary is at the feet of Jesus. And why was Mary at the feet of Jesus? And I I believe, again, it wasn't so much what she was actually doing at the feet of Jesus, but it was how she was doing it. See, that is actually what set Mary apart. She loved Jesus deeply. She expressed her passion for Jesus. and, And Mary was never afraid to show her emotions. This is actually her norm Um, because she always seems to show her emotions to Jesus. And every single time in the Bible, there's this huge response back from Jesus. Hey guys, there's a pattern here, something we miss. Now I want you to flip over backwards to Luke chapter 11, excuse me, John 11, John chapter 11. This is the story of Lazarus. And uh, this is where he was raised from the dead. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. You do that for your own on your homework. But remember, this is Mary and Martha's brother there in Bethany. And again, in this story, you're going to see Mary moving the heart of Jesus. Read these stories. You just read these stories intellectually, and you'll see something amazing coming out of them. Verse 1, it says, a man, from La- uh, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. He was their brother. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. That's Lazarus. He loved them. It says, when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And Jesus, look at this, look at this. Jesus loved Martha. And her sister, who's the sister? Mary and Lazarus, he loved them. He loved them. Now move down to verse 17. Verse 17 says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. A lot of Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brothers. So a lot of these mourners that were there. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Mary stayed at home. And that's always kind of mystified me, but I've really looked deep into the scriptures here. It's obvious that Mary was not even made aware that Jesus was on his way. And Martha had heard that Jesus was coming. It doesn't say Mary had heard that he was coming. So in verse 28, we pick up on the story a little further down. It says, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. This is Martha. She's calling her sister Mary aside. She says, the teacher's here and he's asking for you. Because Jesus said, where is she? Where's Mary? And Mary heard this, and she got up quickly and went to him. Look down in verse 32. Look at what happens. When Mary reached the place, okay, here we go. Watch this. Where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Here we go again. 
she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, look at this. These next words are critical here. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping. Look at that. When Jesus saw her weeping. All right. Jesus is now impacted by the emotion, impacted by what Mary is doing. And he reacts, he responds to it. It says, when he saw her weeping, there was a shift. And along with the Jews who had come along with her was weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. What caused Jesus to be, what caused God to be deeply moved in his spirit? It's the weeping and the passion of a person crying out to him. What can we learn? Martha didn't stir that up in him. Martha came out kind of critical. You can read it on your own. He said, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And here's the two word, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. The only place where we see Jesus is weeping. He's sobbing. He's crying. Wait, why is he weeping and sobbing and crying? Rewind, rewind. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, he was deeply moved. It ignited something in him. What do we ignite in God when we are willing to release our emotions to God and quit just being so rigid? I'm just going to go through the religious motions and God, I just think God says, stop it, Martha. I love you and everything, but this is getting to be ridiculous. You want to get a hold of my heart? Let me see your heart. Let me see your passion. God himself moved with emotion. And he gets moved with emotion. Also today, I believe, is just as much when we pour out our hearts to him as well. When was the last time you just got, got emotional with God? You know, he wants it. He desires it. He does. I mean, and who cares who sees and who doesn't like it? Nobody liked what Mary did. She sure did make it into the Bible a lot. <laughs> Verse 43, I just have to wrap up the story here. It's kind of cool because what is actually initiated here? Then Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. He was a mummy, all right? And Jesus said to them, take off them grave clothes and let him go. What moved Jesus to tears? He loved all three of them. He loved Martha. He loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. But he didn't weep until Mary came out and fell at her feet and began pouring out her heart in emotion because Mary knew that Jesus was the only answer. You see, it wasn't so much what Mary was doing. It was how she was doing it. And that's what set her apart. And that's what I want us to be set apart by. Uh, For me, I mean, I want my giving and my offerings, I want it to be an aroma, a sweet fragrance to God and not an obligation, not some anxiety-filled, perfunctory activity. But I want it to come from the deepest place in my heart. My giving and my heart for the house commitment, my ministry to Jesus should move me with emotion. And it does. And it gets the attention of God, and I know it does. And it can for you too. I want my life, I want my service to God, my ministry to God to really, really matter. Mary wasn't afraid to show her emotions because she just simply knew who she was. She didn't need a title. She didn't need a position. I mean, my my title is Reverend Timothy W. Woody, pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. 
Sounds kind of nice, official. Yeah, special. I can, that can make me feel good. But is that me? No. That's a description of what I do. It's a title. It's a position. It's given to me by others. It really means nothing. That's not, that's not who I am. See, who you are is not a position and it's not an occupation because who you are is how you do what you do. Come on, guys, get this. Who you are is how you do what you do. How you parent, how you lead your business, how you handle your finances. It's the attitude that you have when you're dealing with people that annoy you. It's how you serve your company, how you serve your boss. It's how you minister in your local church. It's how you make Jesus known to people around you. And you can do it with just just activity or you can do it with passion and emotion and a heart for God. And I choose that because I know that's what gets God's attention. The rest doesn't even get his attention. The biggest misconception that we have about identity, purpose, and calling in our lives is that everyone, you know, once I figure out my identity, purpose, calling, I have my title, then everything's going to be just fine and happy in life. Well, no, because things will continue to mess up. You know, when things fail to be perfect in your life, that's when then we get up and we move to another relationship. We move to another job. We move to another city. We move to another church. Hey, listen, Jesus did not die for you to be in a perpetual search for yourself rushing around like Martha. He didn't. You already have identity. You already have purpose. And it's time to step in from, step up from being unfulfilled and, and making it all about you to being literally fulfilled in what you do. I mean, what moves you to tears? What moves you to tears? Whatever moves you to tears is going to cause you to produce fruit. Consider a, a peach tree. Uh, you know, a peach tree has a purpose, right? You make peaches. But that peach tree cannot fulfill its purpose if it's always being transplanted. <laughs> you know? It's not going to bear much fruit. It's going to die an early death. And we'll have a very unfulfilling existence. So God also has a plan for you to be fulfilled. Because fulfillment equals this. It equals bearing fruit. Fulfillment equals bearing fruit. And we do that through the passion in our lives. Make some passion fruit. <laughs> Fulfillment's not when you reach a goal. That's a, that's a happy emotion that goes away the next day. Fulfillment comes from bearing fruit. It's, it's, it's expressing your natural love and passion for Jesus and for his work and his people and letting that rise to the surface. And it results in something that does move the heart of God. Guys, I'm just telling you, it does. Make your life matter. Bear fruit. Just Bear fruit with the passion in your heart. Move the heart of God by passionately committing to your home and your family. Move the heart of God by committing to, the, to, the hel- and to helping the marginalized wherever and however. Move the heart of God by passionately committing to your church and, and to the ministry that you serve in. Because God has placed upon you this thing called a responsibility. And you have a responsibility to make your life matter. If you're going to do that, you're going to need to bloom where you're planted. Let that passion begin to flow out of you. No more being obsessed with doing soil samples. Like, well, is this good enough? I don't know. Uprooting yourself. And even with your passions, because every one of you have passions. I know you do. But if you let those passions just pour back into yourself, it's a lose-lose game, you see? 
See, that's what Heart for the House is all about. And really, we've talked about these three areas, talked about them last week. But again, there's the, there's the first part, which is our house. The, the, the giving toward Heart for the House represents what happens right here and the things that, that needs to continue to take place here and some of the facility needs. I, I'm done with this carpet in here. It is looking bad. It's looking ratty. But, but there are a lot of other things that, that we need to do to upgrade our house and keep it, keep it in good condition and, and to, to expand ministry right here in our house. Second thing is our city. As we, as we give toward Heart for the House, as we make those commitments, it's about Fort Worth. It's about our city and the things that are out there that are to come and, 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 and impacting the, the lost and the homeless and, and the broken across our city. And the third area is our world through world missions and, 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 and setting ourselves up for church planting and to, to make a difference way, way out there. Who knows what God will do in the future as a result of how we give today. I'm asking you to do two things. I'm asking you, it's just my big ask, is to make a heart for the house commitment to, give, to be given between now and the end of the year above your tithes. And the second is to be at the launch interest meeting next Monday night. And if you can't be here, just, I mean, if, 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 you, if you can't be here, get somebody else here. And maybe you've already come before, bring someone else who really wants to be at the core of what's happening. Because I'm looking for, I'm looking for over 100 people who will say, I'm committed to this church. And then we're going to move forward together, church. I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. Let your natural love and passion rise to the surface and let it result in something that just moves the heart of God. This passage written by Solomon really sums it up well. Some of you are stressed out and you've got so many irons in the fire and, so, and you're tired and you're exhausted. And, and listen, listen, he makes it simple for us. Guys, this is the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus Christ. Solomon says this in chapter three, uh, Proverbs chapter three, verse one. He said, uh, verse five, he says, trust in the Lord. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen to God's voice in everything you do, wherever you go. He's the one who keeps you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. Honor God with everything that you own. Give him the first and the best. Your barns will burst and your wine vats will brim over. This is about allowing the natural love and passion of God to rise up in your heart. It's a hold of the heart of God. Will you please close your eyes for just a moment? I don't want any movement at this time and just want to ask, mention this. Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Possibly you're just moving and drifting around in life and you're, far, you're finding yourself far from God. And if you want to know the Jesus that I talk about here at City Life and you want a new beginning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond simply by lifting your hand. Know this, Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. He wants to give you new life. And today it's time for you to live. It's time for you to live. If you'd like to be included in my closing prayer and to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I'm going to ask you to respond very simply by lifting your hands. And when you lift your hand, in just a moment, I'll give you a count of three, just lift your hand, I can connect my faith with yours, and then you can respond and pray this prayer with me. How many of you will say, that? that's me, I, I need Jesus today. Would you please lift your hands so we can pray together. One, two, three. Lift them up. Lift them up for me. That's it. I'm needing Jesus today. Today is the day I make the decision to follow Jesus. I'm putting my past behind me. 
Thank you so much. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand up right now. I want you, if you raise your hand, I want you along with this entire group of believers to pray these words with me. Come on, pray it with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I give you my life. Wash my sin away. I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. enjoyed today's message. You know, City Life Church, we are all about developing followers of Jesus who influence and shape culture. And it's possible that you are even feeling a, a shift that is coming in your life or possibly deep down inside you feel called to something more. And City Life might be a part of that future. Let me tell you, Launch Sunday is the big event that's coming up, and it's happening on February 10th, 2019. And if you'd really like to be a part of what God is doing in downtown Fort Worth through City Life Church, I'm asking you to go and visit our website at citylifefw.org and click the launch button. Uh, you could also just come and visit one of our services because I, I really believe the future is bright and it's limitless in potential. I want you to hear my vision. I want you to be a part of what God is doing at City Life and come and chat with me personally after one of the services.